Hi, welcome to Commercial Real Estate Eyes Wide Open podcast. I'm Ann Hambley, your host. And today I'm very pleased to have with me Angie Solanke, who is the um, National Director of Retail Services and Practice Groups at Collier's. Nice to have you, Angie. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ann. Wonderful. And I can tell from your title, obviously, it didn't take many brain cells to figure out that your focus is on retail. So I think we'll, we'll have, uh, you know, keep our um, podcast focused on retail today. And obviously it's a hot topic. So very, very happy to have you. Do you want to give any, any other information on your background or anything, or should we just launch right into some questions? Yeah, let's do it. We'll have enough for people to check out our bios after. Absolutely. Good, good. Well, one of the things I want to talk to you about is um, leasing activity in general. And I'll tell you the general feel for people that don't focus on retail, like if you're we're in all business types at first service, we handle all product types nationwide. So I'm not specialist in, in retail per se. Um, my general um, feedback on how retail is doing is more based on what I hear in the news and the Amazon effect and all those things you hear out there, which, which you know, um, but I would like to hear from you the reality, right? How's leasing activity, um, foot traffic? I mean, I, I still envision everything being done online, but how are you finding it in, in reality for a reach from a retail expert standpoint? Yeah, not not a problem to answer. So um, if we stop and think about retail, look, at the end of the day, we're all humans. We like to socialize and we like to touch, feel, smell, taste. And those are experiences that you cannot replicate online. Yes, we saw Mm. a surge um, as it relates to online during the pandemic. And that was because we were forced to really shop from a contactless experience. And, And we saw peaks um, in terms of e-com hitting, you know, slightly over 20% of overall sales, retail sales, excluding auto, et cetera. Now that has definitely, you know, prior to the pandemic, we were probably hovering around 16%. Um, and today we're closer to maybe 15, you know, 14, 15%. So it, it, to me, what it represents is two things. It says, yes, people do like to shop in stores. And don't forget when we really look at the overall retail sales volume, we're talking trillions and trillions of dollars, both globally um, as well as, you know, from a national perspective. And so, you know, if, if, you know, call it uh, um, 85% of sales are being generated from a store, that's a pretty significant amount. And for significant impact where you're seeing the internet of things taking away those sales, it's gonna to have to be pretty drastic of a, of, of a turnaround for that to occur. And it hasn't happened as of yet. And I know we we tend to say retail, like it's one big and it is a, a main category, but I'm sure there are uh, you know specific categories within retail that are affected very differently. Can you kind of give an overview on those? Yeah, I mean, if we stop and think, you know, look, grocery always does well. It's mm-hmm. It's just then it becomes, you know, competitive. And we all know, you know, Kroger buying Albertsons, there's going to be this continuation of how do we acquire because there's, you know, significant amount of grocers out there. Grocery as a category has changed, um, meaning that you have superstores, you have smaller store formats. Um, We've seen that with dollar stores, Walmart, 
um, et cetera. You see Target, you know, Target with, you know, the introduction years ago with their grocery component within their stores. So grocery definitely continues, of course, to be the dominant. Um, we've definitely seen, uh, you know, Costco uh, done some continue to be brilliant at what they do and 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 they have been successful uh, they've mastered how they even manage through supply chain so um, strong retailers are definitely going to continue to be in that grocery segment the next segment we still see is the QSR or quick service restaurants i.e fast food oh. Your Chipotles. <laughs> yeah. yeah the Chipotles the Taco Bells yeah. you know they continue to uh, see um, strong moment, momentum and growth. And I think that's twofold people. It's quick, it's easy, it's inexpensive. And especially in a market where you're seeing some, you know, macroeconomics inflation, people tend to go to easy and inexpensive. So those are really strong categories. And um, home is slowing down a little bit um, because people did spend, but I think we'll, we'll value is going to just continue to be there and, and we'll start to see more of that, um, those categories seeing a nice, a boost, um, I should say nice, but a boost. Yeah. <laughs> well, other than the ability to shop online, which a lot of us learned fast and furiously during COVID, what does the post COVID kind of work-life balance um, a dynamic in our industry sort of affect retail at all? Most definitely. I was just chatting with some folks um, in the retail space and we were having a really healthy dialogue, just kind of a, um, a back and forth of what they're seeing, what we're seeing, um, you know, their uh, insights were more, more mall driven. Um, ours are, are, we're doing some research around, you know, because people are working in this hybrid work office environment where the majority of their time might be at home, mm-hmm. um, now instead of doing your errands during the weekends, you have a little more flexibility because I think what people are starting to say or see is, okay, I know I have to get my, my work product completed within, you know, X number of hours within these days, et cetera, but I have the balance or the ability to kind of change up my routine. So instead of waking up at six, going to the gym, showering and going into the office, you're now going into the, you can say, you know what, I'm going to wake up a little later, enjoy my coffee, read the news, start my day um, at my home office at eight, hypothetically, and then maybe I'm going to actually go to the gym, you know, in the afternoon for lunch come back, I could stay in my sweats and continue working. So the routine has changed. It's not that home work home. And then how do I run my errands in between? It's, it's different. We're home Mm -hmm. working. How do I uh, roll in my routines? But I have more days I have available to me to run errands because of the convenience factor. And that might be why when you see, when you historically were used to doing all your errands on the weekends, and now you're out running an errand on the weekend, you don't see as many people, you can interpret that as, oh, see, it is really down. But in fact, what you're saying is really true, which is, I don't have to cram everything just into the weekend now, you know, in some cases. You know, I was talking to someone else recently, and they were telling me, which was something that's really interesting, I had never thought of it this way, but um, 
some of the owners of, of uh, you know, I guess retail in general, I was going to say malls, but not necessarily malls, um, are finding it a good thing when large box tenants like a big a Bed Bath & Beyond or I guess a Macy's or things like that uh, announce a closure because it gives them the opportunity to, I guess, you know, retenant it in a better way. Talk, talk about, do you agree, first of all, with that statement that the mall owners or retail owners don't necessarily find that to be a horrible thing when these announcements of closures occur? Um, yes, most definitely. I think there's always the next highest and best use. Highest and best can mean retail. It can mean um, medical. You know, we've seen several of these large boxes convert into other use types within malls. Because again, if we stop and think about, you know, malls are so massive. They live in a community. That community grows due to population growth. And so when things like this occur, that's an opportunity for a landlord to go, okay, let's really take a pause and understand what the opportunities are. Should we take that 100,000 square foot box and re-tenant with one tenant that's maybe a different use, like um, uh, medical or healthcare? We've seen that, we've done that um, with our clients in portfolios. Um, we've also seen the approach, well, let's actually look at the market and who are those uh, uh, categories that are void. So retailers that are not in the market, but may not need 100,000 square feet. So in that case, can we redemise and, um, you know, readapt the space and apply um, different formats? So we've seen this with a couple of boxes where they've taken a box and they've actually carved out um, smaller storefronts on one of the busiest, you know, call it elevations where they have a lot of foot traffic and put in smaller tenants. Well, if you take the average of those smaller tenants, that could be an average rent of, you know, call it $45, $50 a square foot um, versus a, you know, 12 or less dollars a square foot for that big box itself. So you can definitely take a box and repurpose it for what makes sense for the community, the project in general from a merchandising mix, and definitely see an uptick. Yes, there's going to be construction costs associated with that, but I think if you look at, you know, um, an analysis to see what that uh, return on cost is, it's still going to be beneficial long term. It's good to hear you say that because um, when you when you again in you know, in commercial real estate in general, when you hear about closures of these, you know, Bed Bath and Beyond, you hear the whole list and the announcements, it always seems like it's a bad thing, you know, so it's good, good to kind of hear that. And I bet you can, um, again, not, not a retail expert myself, but I'll, I'll, po I'll poise this as a statement, but I'd love your thoughts on it. I bet you can get away with the smaller retail stores now, as opposed to these big configurations we used to have because you have the ability to ship stuff to someone shortly after you don't have to have every size every style everything out for display right i mean that is imagine that yeah yeah i mean you hit the nail on the head and i think retailers are becoming much more sophisticated in terms of use of technology the deployment of technology um how customers are shopping you know are um and 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 to your point not having a, you know, a hundred thousand SKUs in a store, yeah. but having, you know, 25,000 or 30,000 and, and right sizing for the market. Um, you know, do you really need to have 
you know, 15 different SKUs of that one same product. No, it could be, it, it, some can be, you know, placed um, and purchased online, you know, little yeah. information about me. I, I tend to buy clothes that are in the petite size because um, I'm short. <laughs> and <laughs> I run into that problem and, and the, the they've trained their staff to say, we so apologize. We do not have that size in the store. However, let's mm. follow me and let's go ahead and order it online. It will be at your door within two days. Now, yeah, that's, that's music to my ears, right? So yeah. they are um, right-sizing. They're being more, more um, operationally efficient. And all of these things help when we talk about margins because margins do shrink as we're seeing cost continue to increase from, you know, labor cost and uh, construction costs and supply chain costs. So operational. Mm -hmm. So, and you obviously advise part of the thing, at least I, I saw as your product or service that you offer is you advise retail owners. What's the, right. I assume I want to clarify that first. Yeah. What's the biggest thing in addition to what you just said that would be on a retail owner's mind right now? Do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, if um, what uh, many landlords are looking at is, um, you know, monitoring the health of retailers, but also the credit that is is there. So, you know, it's, it's this balance between, you know, credit from that tenant or retailer um, their credit worthiness, of course, and then also their operating experience, um, know-how, uh, coupled with, you know, is it first to market? Is it a new concept? Um, you know, many landlords are looking at how do we merchandise our projects with, you know, uses and concepts that are a mix between traditional and non-traditional retail. And what I mean by that is, you know, just really retail that isn't true retail that we may think of like a mm -hmm. shoe store, clothing store, et cetera. Um, but there's so many new concepts that are rolling out outside of pure retail in the wellness space and the specialty fitness mm -hmm. space, et cetera. So I think just, you know, that's where we're seeing a lot of uh, that kind of time and thought spent in addition to reinvesting capital in shopping centers to position it so it's top of mind for that shopper. If you can create even that experience from the curb all the way into the center, so the minute you drive in, you just have this great experience. That's really important because that shopper is, the shopper at the end of the day is very finicky. And if, you, if they're in a market where they have five shopping centers to shop from, they're going to go yeah, where it's yeah. a convenient, they feel comfortable sure. and safe, and it has a wide variety of what they're looking for. So I think it's really, you know, tailored to that. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you something that we didn't talk about ahead of time at all. And so I've just, um, so, so go take another, here's what I always think about too, is our Traditional lending, you know, is in general 10 year, you know, 10 year term. 
maybe not always, of course, but that's kind of a common one, at least in CMBS. So you've got a, a, a retail center that matures in 23, 22, and you get a 10-year loan on it. What do you think retail looks like in 2032? I mean, what what are we going to be driving? Do we drive to a retail center? Do we want everything under one roof? I mean, you know, how, how do you how do you envision you personally, Anjay? Yeah. How do you envision um, retail in 10 years? <laughs> Gosh, I mean, 10 years at the speed we're at today. I know, right? Um, it, that's such a that's it, it's a great question, and I mean, I must say. Um, it's the first time someone's actually said, what do I personally feel? I think we'll definitely continue to see, you know, the more community driven, neighborhood driven, customized projects that are tailored for that particular community, not very large in scale. Um, I definitely think that the larger projects will continue to see the mixed use um, where you will have office, you will have other uh, businesses and business types, and then residential with retail. Um, people are becoming more, um, I think, you know, yes, it's great to have your three-bedroom house with a beautiful backyard and your, your 2.3 kids, which I always, <laughs> right. someone told me the answer to that. And I was like, oh, okay, no, I know. Um, and, you know, your 4.5 I know pets, I don't know, but um, point is, is that I think it's going to be really fascinating because I think there's going to be so much very interesting technology where we're going to see more experience around it, where, you know, you may be entering a project and um, be greeted by, you know, a hologram or you might be greeted mm -hmm. where someone's going to be coming up to you and saying, how are you today by name? Yeah. Uh, and, and they don't even know who you are. I think technology is gonna play a stronger role, yeah. uh, uh, but in a way that still allows us to be um, human. I'm not, I'm not saying it's gonna be that futuristic, right? But I yeah, think yeah, right. see little elements of that. I mean, right, right now I haven't seen it myself, but um, actually uh, Joey Agree had shared this with me on one of my uh, conversations with him. And Joey said, have you been to the, to the Walmart where you can drive up and the stores, you know, on the other side of the parking lot, but you drive up and a little drone comes down and drops your package off. I was what? like, what? No, <laughs> no. You know, I was like, wow. I mean, it's like, so this, we're droning already. We're yeah. already seeing packages that are being, you know, dropped mm -hmm. from a, a tower. Um, you know, people right. are, humans are putting packages in your trunk so you can just grab and go right. we're seeing that today so i just see this only continuing to expand right. and um yeah i mean if the autonomous car shows up which i'm like the first to buy mm -hmm. i have to say like the car is going to go potentially to pick up things <laughs> yeah yeah well you know that's that's the thing in my mind um and you know i i just sort of I'm in the generation, I think, where the concept of things coming to you is so revolutionary and enticing that you take advantage of that. So like if, if I don't have to get in my car or have a car, I don't have to go do anything yeah. and I can just, you know, click a few buttons and it comes to me. That's the, that's all me. Right. Yeah. But, so I wasn't sure if we still want the experience of going out and doing things. But, you know, at the ICSC uh, conference, which I'm sure you go every year but the last time I went which I know it was pre-COVID I'm sure it was there was a holographic 
lady that kind of greeted you when you walked in. And I, I, so I think you're absolutely right. I, I thought of that the minute you said that, you know, yeah. I'm sure there'll be a way to, it'd be interesting to see. Obviously none of us know. I, I, I appreciated your insight there. Um, it'll be fun to watch. One thing we know, one thing I'm sure we both could agree on is there'll be a lot of change. Yes. Change <laughs> right. is the one constant. Yes. Um, yes. It's not going to look the same. <laughs> no, no. And yeah. I live for that. I mean, yeah. I said, if, if someone can share with me, whatever that, you know, uh, live as long as you can. Uh, mm, mm, yeah. <laughs> is, um, I don't mind yeah. hating. It's just, I, I, I just, I'd love to see what the future looks like because I find it so fascinating and, and, uh, it just really piques my personal interest. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think there's so much to see and share. We're seeing it already in other countries. Um, I've seen it in Dubai, I've seen it in Japan and I have to tell you, it is just fascinating. It's going to eventually get here slowly, but it, it will. Yeah. Uh, so wow. yeah, no, I think retail is a space that I believe it creates, um, so much curiosity, so much creativity yeah. and to your right. point change. And, and you're absolutely right that net net at the end of the day, I liked your, your starting point where you said, we all have, you know, we all want to not just see, but we want to touch and smell and taste. And we have other senses and you have to, you have to uh, nourish those somehow. Right. And you have to be out with other people and you have to go, you know, do things. You can't just sit around online and, you know, get all that fulfilled. So exactly. hopefully that will drive us for the future. Yeah. Well, um, I, I have certainly used up all the time I asked of you and I appreciate it, Angie, this has been really helpful, insightful, and really enjoyed having you. Anything you want to say before we, uh, you know, end up the podcast? No, I, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, having a great chat around all things retail. And uh, again, if anyone's interested in learning more about uh, the retail sector, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. Absolutely. 